and welcome to the fifth episode of the Coleman's Podcast. I'm Seamus Brana, and today I'll be sharing with you in full an interview with two-time Six Nations, Heineken Cup and Pro 12 champion, the Irish rugby legend and past pupil of St. Coleman's, Mike Ross. So sit back, relax and enjoy. Welcome Mike, thanks a million for coming on to the Coleman's Podcast. It's great to have you on. Yeah, happy to work, do something for the old alma mater, you know. Um, even though it's been, what, 20 years, 22 years since I've walked out those doors. But, yeah, it's been uh, six years inside there. Yeah, just first off, I'd like to ask you about, you know, your time at Coleman. It's obviously a very sport-orientated school, a lot of hurling going on. But did you ever get to play any rugby with Coleman's or was it always very much focused on the hurling at your time? It was a very much a hurling school. You know, rugby wasn't really played to be honest, um, yeah, I suppose with good reason. Like school won the All Ireland twice while I was there, so uh, you had some very good hur- hurling teams winning Harty Cups and the rest of us. But um, I think the, the one time we did have some rugby on Sports Day, some guy really badly broke his ankle, so that kind of put paid to it. Um, so then, how did you get your start in rugby, and what age did it all begin? I suppose, and when did you first fall in love with it? Uh, well, look, I, I was always a big kid uh, growing up. I was stoned for every year, so you know, hurling was never going to be my uh, sport because I consider most of the guys were, you know, 14, 13 stone in that. But uh, my dad took me up to Fomoy Rugby Club when I was about 11, and uh, all, of, all of a sudden I was able to you know, run through a lot of people. It didn't matter that I was, wasn't particularly fast. And so, you know, the, the, that's the nice thing about rugby. There's kind of a position for every size so to speak so if you're tall if you're small if you're skinny if you're fat there's there's a spot there for you and who was your biggest inspiration growing up who did you want to be like uh probably like probably at the time you know like keith wood or um austin rent would have been uh the, the 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 guys I'd have watched coming up the ranks, you know. Um, didn't have too many superstars when I was growing up, but like Keith Wood was one, and then you'd Simon Gagan, the winger, was another. Um, but aside from that, you're kind of short and a lot of star quality, not like today when you have a lot of world-class players in most positions. Then moving on to your time at UCC in your first year, you had massive breakthrough. What was it like playing on that UCC team where you won the European Students Cup with some all-time greats, really, and Peter Stringer and Jerry Flannery. It was great, you know. I mean, like I, I so I joined, I joined the rugby team, um, college rugby team in, you know, was it '98? And I, I had notions about being number eight, but then I walk in, and I see this guy six foot six and built like a, you know, proverbial brick. Um, <laughs> brick house, and I was like, ah, don't, I'll, I'll be, I'll be a prop again, and uh, it worked out well. So nobody knew me in there, so I went from minor B to minor A to junior to senior in the space of about four to five weeks, you know, and uh, the, the, the rugby career kind of took off from there, really, you know. Um, so no, it was good. It had a great time. Like I said, we won the students European Cup. 99 I remember going on to the Lansdowne Road at half time because that was the when Ulster beat Columbia and being presented to the crowd because we won that morning and then I'll be honest that the memory is a bit of a blur after that because there was a, <laughs> a few bags of cans found and uh, we went on from there. And what did you learn from I suppose training in UCC was probably 
a big step up from the likes of Formoy being a junior club. Yeah, it was. It was it certainly accelerated my rugby education. I got good basics from Formoy, but yeah, as you like, UCC was a senior club, and um, there's suddenly a lot of things I had to wrap my head around. Uh, and guys who have played schools have just come naturally to them. But it was like for me, it was like learning a whole new language. But luckily, I was you know, still good at pushing. So. Um, I you know, had a spot in the team, even if I wasn't as up to speed as some of the other guys on the more technical aspects of the sport. And then between your time at UCC and your breakthrough into the pro game, what happened in between there? Like how to you keep yourself busy and keep yourself looking for that opportunity? Yeah, well, I played four, four years at UCC and then I, went, I graduated from UCC, did a degree in biotech. And uh, I ended up working in a lab for a couple of years, but I was always, I was playing with Cork on then, so I was playing at the highest non-professional level in Ireland, and um, I was a uh, in say spring of two thousand and six. I was invited in to train with Monster more more full time. That brought me up a level. So even though Declan Kidney told me in that 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 somewhere that there wasn't a spot for me in the squad I was still able to take a trial with Harold Quinns and because I'd been training Munster brought me up sufficiently that I was able to take the opportunity when it presented itself so I went over to Harold Quinns on a three-month trial and, um, and didn't look back after that. And then on your time in Harlequins, what was it like jumping straight in the deep end I suppose in terms of the scrums and the physicality in the premiership it's notorious for being the toughest in the world in terms of the scrummaging. Yeah, it was it was a hell of a step up. Uh, like my first professional preseason, I lost about twelve kilos um, because I hadn't gone through that before. We had this absolute mentalist of a conditioning coach guy called Phil Richards, and he used to make us do this what's called leopard crawl. So you get down and all. He was he was ex army. He was probably I think he was the youngest ever British army drill instructor. And he like he certainly trained us like it, so he he'd make us uh, do what he called leopard crawls. So you get down on all fours and basically crawl like you're under a machine gun fire the length of the pitch and back. And by the time you've done that, all the skin would be stripped off your elbows and your knees. And he'd wait a couple of weeks, like grew back, and he'd do it again. <laughs> so the, yeah, it, it was it was a bit of a trial by fire. Um, I can't. I was. I made the first team bench for the first game of the season and played played in the Twickenham Stadium against London Irish. And then my first start was a few games later against Leicester, who had probably won the who had then and still do like one of the toughest scrums in the Premiership. And it was certainly sink or swim. Um, I my first couple of seasons I was averaging about two and a half thousand minutes a season, which was an average of 30 full games so but to be honest <clears throat> I didn't have the same wear and tear mileage on the clock as someone who'd come out of an academy and gone straight into professional games so it was exactly what I needed. And then who were some of your toughest opponents on like you know scrummaging against loose heads who would have been the toughest in the premiership at the time? A couple guys so you had like some Marcus Iertza uh, the Argentinian um, Lucid, and also Andrew Sheridan, who could you know, probably bench press a small car. You know, um, you always had to get your technique exactly right against him, or you're in a lot of trouble. Uh, other guys, I, I'd have run into um, 
you know, the Tim Payne and Wasps. And uh, like you, you go around the premiership and you you meet a lot meet a lot of wiry, narrowly loose heads who knew their trade. And then how tough of a decision was it to leave Harlequins and decide to go to Leinster? It was pretty tough, you know. Like I was, I was well established there, you know. I had a good bunch of friends. Some guys I still talk to today. I mean, I've, I was getting my game every week, and I was looking over at Leinster, and they had, you know, Stan Wright was there, and I was going. CJ Van Lynn was there. I was going like, where's the opportunity for me here? If I go over, I'm just going to be a backup and holding tackling bags and. It was a risk, but I knew at the same time if I wanted to make a push for the 2011 World Cup, I needed to be over and playing. And to do that, I probably need to give myself a, a run of one or two seasons. It's a good thing I gave it two because uh, otherwise it wouldn't have, like for my first season was exactly how I feared. I was, I remember, always remember one time I was looking down at my hand and I, I, I had a callus like on the back of my knuckle. I was like, what the hell is this? Why is this all cracked? And because I, like, I wasn't, you know, doing boxing or anything like that that would do it. And then one session I realized it was from holding fecking tackle bags. I got a callus in my hand for holding fecking tackle bags. And that was probably one of the lowest points in my career. And then just, I think it was after you'd agreed to join Leinster, wasn't it? You were both still playing Quinns. I suppose it was probably particularly tough for you with the whole Bloodgate scandal, you know being against Leinster, playing for Quinns, knowing you're going there, you know, what was that like? Well, that, that only broke after I left, you know, so like at the, at the time, and so that happened, the Bloodgate game was in, I think, May or April or May, wasn't it? And the, the fallout only came in July, August, when I was already over at Leinster. But yeah, it was a strange time because <clears throat> it was it was kind of, Commonly, the blood bin was commonly used as a, you know, another way, way to get an extra substitute on. And some teams would actually cut their players, you know, they'd actually, you know, physio run out, have a little scalpel and just, you know, a little nick. And then in you go, I, I, I guess the, that was, it was common in the premiership. I think it happened in other leagues as well. But it's only when you're kind of outside it, you realize like, what, what the hell were we doing there? You know, it just... You just didn't even think about it, you know, didn't even think about it. It was just like, you know, oh, this is another way we could get our player on. Yeah. Was there any backlash then when it did break with you already being in Leinster? Was that, did that create any tension or was it all kind of forgotten about at that stage? No, no. I mean, like, you know, it wasn't like I played in the game, but, you know, I didn't make the decisions or anything like that. So, yeah, a little bit slagging, but that's probably about it. You know, there wasn't, there wasn't, they didn't have, have any effect upon me. When you first joined Leinster and you were under Michael Checker, what's what's he like behind the scenes? He's obviously one of the more divisive characters, I suppose, in world rugby. But what's he really like behind the scenes? He's he's, he's fiery. I mean, like you certainly didn't want to disappoint him, and um, I mean, like he's very good coaching. He came along. He's probably exactly what Leinster required at that time. Uh, I heard stories of you know horrendous fitness sessions where the guys be you know running. 20, 30 times up Kalini Hill, you know, to, until you see if you could break him. Um, like I, I blotted my copybook with him early on. I gave away a penalty in a, in a game and he didn't really trust me after. And he wasn't really a guy I, I thought would change his mind very often. So, yeah, at that, at that stage, you know, I was kind of looking, looking I'm not getting my game. Um, I was playing all the time in premiership. 
maybe I've made a mistake here. Maybe it's time to, you know, pull the plug and say, look, tried um, and go back. Because you're a rugby player, you're not a rugby trainer, right? So you, you want to you want to be playing. You don't want to be getting calluses in your hand from holding tackle bags. So I was you know, wondering if I was, maybe I made a mistake, but at the same time, I knew that Jex was on his way out then the season, that there's a new guy coming in. So, you know, worst comes to worst. Um, yeah, I was going to get another chance because a new coach comes in, it's almost like hitting the reset button a little bit. That you know, there's a, there's a new baseline, and um, you have a chance to prove your worth. But yeah, uh, thankfully I stuck around, and Joe Smith came along. Yeah, just you mentioned there, Joe Smith coming in. It seems any of this, he was probably one of your favorite coaches. You know, you won two Champions Cups under him, uh, two Six Nations. What's he like? Is he as good as they say? Yeah, he's really good. Um, he's, 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 he's a tremendous stickler for detail. You know, I mean, like, if you're ever watching Ireland when you're playing him, he, he was more as much about the work he did off the ball as when you're on the ball, you know. So if there's a kick, I mean, he, he'd zoom out and he'd show who was busting their ass to chase the kick and who wasn't, you know. And um, God, God forbid you're a back and you get beaten into the defensive line by a forward, you know, it's not... Not something that um, that's good for you. Like I've, I've often told this story before, but I remember doing a video game, a video review of the game the, the at the weekend, and um, it was early on, probably a couple of weeks into his into his Leinster career, and uh, he turns around and the winger scores a try, the opposition winger scores a try, and he turns around and goes, "Mike, that was your man." And I'm looking at him like he's got two bloody heads. I'm like, "This is a winger. I'm a prop." And he says, "Yeah." But you're level with him here before before he gets the ball. And if you just, you know, worked a little bit harder earlier and I mean if you sprinted when you got the ball, you could have tackled him. I was going, Right, <laughs> okay. This is something I haven't encountered before. So but yeah, like <clears throat> Joe kind of drove standards to a new height in Leinster, I think. And then when Joe moved on to Ireland and you had Leo Cullen come in as Leinster coach, what was that like having played with him and him being your captain? Did the relationship change them to him becoming their head coach? It did a bit because it has to. You know, I mean, he you can be your friend or your teammate, but his coach, you can be friendly with you, but you can't really be your friend, can he? Because he's, you know, he's got to make the right call for the team, even that involves not picking you. Um, I mean, I think Leo, he took over from Matt O'Connor after Matt O'Connor left, kind of was was sacked in, early in the before his contract was up. So it was probably a bit early for Leo, but uh, probably got it sooner than he wanted. But in fairness to him, he was well aware that, you know, there was gaps in his coaching CV yet. So when the opportunity to get Stuart Lancaster in came along, he didn't hesitate, even though, you know, it might necessarily have been the best move for him, but he knew he needed an experienced coach alongside him if he was going to continue and grow and learn his own career. Um, what was it like then when, well, I read in your book that he kind of had to, I suppose, break the news to you that you weren't getting the new contract. And then, you know, how hard was that for both you and him having played together to then, you know, have to call it a day like that? I like to think it was harder for me. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, like, to be fair, I kind of pushed it. Uh, like, uh, it was March. I mean, my contract is up in June. I needed to know if there's going to be something there for me or not. And, 
it's probably not the, the forum he wanted to, to break the news in, but at the same time, you know, I I needed to know. So, yeah, uh, like probably something he'd choose to do differently now, but um, yeah, it is what it is. And it's it, at least I had clarity along. I wasn't hanging on going, oh, there's another year in here for me and um, had less time to decide then to find another job. Then having trained and, trained and played for so long, you know, giving it your all, what's it like then when you do retire and like, you know, all that stops and, you know, there's very little action, I suppose. It, it's strange, you know, I mean, because you're, you're ejected out of the rugby bubble fairly abruptly. Uh, like one one day you're part of the squad and all that entails and the next you're not. Um, have, I mean, there, there's a guy called Aidan McCullen. He used to play playing for Leinster and he, he, he wrote a very good article and I, I thought about it often. It's called, you know, it just says, you know, rugby players are junkies, you know, but it's not, not in the Paul Kimmage kind of way. <laughs> it's, uh, it, it's it's more that, you know, you, 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 do, a, you do, a, do a weight session you get a, you know, a, a dopamine hit from doing the weights. You play well, serotonin hit. You know, there's all these little kind of these little bumps you get. You know, you're you're playing well, you're training hard, you're having crack with the lads, um, and all of a sudden that's gone, and you're going cold turkey. And so, a lot, a lot, and like rugby, rugby is probably the most crack you'll ever have. You know, if you're doing it professionally, you're with your friends. You don't have you're, you're it's like being a I don't know, 15 or 16 year old having the having the fun with your mates all the time and uh, to abruptly go from that and you're in a good wage and now you're out into the real world it's fairly cold out there <laughs> you don't have the 15 20 years of experience that your peers do so you're trying to scr- scratch from you're going to scratch well not quite entirely from scratch out our crossover skills but yeah it's, it's, it's quite challenging and then you know when you look back at your career what would you say are maybe two or three of your favourite moments, the very pinnacle of your career? Um, well, winning my first cap with, with Ireland was, was a good one. Uh, winning Six Nations 2014 was never won anything with the country before. And the first Heineken Cup we won in 2011. Well, then, so probably the, the three ones that stand out the most, you know, um, winning something with your country is very special. And, also, you know, when, when we lifted the Heineken Cup in 2011 at Millennium Stadium, I'd be, like, I'd been there in Millennium Stadium, like, nine years before watching Munster lose Leicester. So, you know, the idea that I now had a Heineken Cup medal was kind of bizarre to me, almost. And then just on the flip side of that, is there anything, looking back, you know, you might have done differently, maybe you regret slightly? Yeah, I suppose missing out on the line sore in 2013. Um that was, that was probably my biggest disappointment in rugby. Uh, yeah, probably would have figured my time back. I'd like to make a better fist of that. But um, yeah, there's a couple of finals to stick out. You know, you never like to lose those. We lost a lot of um, Celtic League finals uh, for whatever reason. But no, aside from that, I mean, like I came to professional rugby very late. I only turned pro when I was 26. So. I can't really complain about 61 caps for Ireland. And, um, you know, if you said that to the 21-year-old me, taking your hand off. Yeah, um, I think that's about all the questions I have for today, Mike. So thanks a minute for coming on. Uh, it's been great to have you. No, no you're very welcome. And uh, thanks for having me.
Thanks. Well, what a great story. Coming to the pro game so late, yet leaving a legendary legacy behind. I'd like to once again say a massive thank you to Mike for giving up his time to talk to us on the podcast. Tune in next time to hear what expert immunologist Professor Luke O'Neill has to say on COVID, music and his new book. Make sure to check out our new website, colemanspodcast.com, where you can find our new blog section, behind-the-scenes photos and so much more. Also, give us a follow on Instagram and Twitter at Coleman's Podcast. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, everyone.